Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing today? Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, doesn't the church look good? And so I'm so excited for, uh, for VBS. I know that we have, um, I get to lead the fourth and fifth graders this year. And I get to walk around with them. And we were told Wednesday or Thursday, one of those two days, I know I have it written down on my schedule of stuff, is dress up day. So I have a special outfit to wear for that day. It's going to be awesome. I debated wearing it today, but, um, but Stephanie told me no. So... <laughs> If you're at VBS, you'll see it. Um, also, it's, I, I love that we get to be here today. I know that um, the weather's been great, too. It's, it's been so fun to see pictures of people um, taking advantage of the, uh, like, five or, no, not even five, three or four weeks of sun we get here in Washington. But it's been, it's been great to see people enjoying the sun. I love uh, people sending me pictures saying, you know, hey, we're, we're joining you online today. Thank you for those of us who are joining us online. I love staying connected with everyone throughout the summer here. And um, also, one more thing before I get started, I feel like I'm doing something really right in my marriage, and I got to share this with you. Um, so Steph and I have been married for 15 years, and for almost all 15 of those years, she has told me, in a church setting, I don't ever want to tell people I'm married to you. And at first, that sounds bad, right? <laughs> like, it sounds bad. But she goes, sometimes I feel like when, when I say, hey, I'm married, I'm married to one of the pastors, I'm married, she goes, all of a sudden there's kind of this uh, expectation or in different thoughts about you. But this morning she came right up and was just like, hi, I'm married to the pastor, he's awesome. I was like, whoa, I made it. 15 years, I made it. So thank you for that, Stephanie, I love it, and I love you. If you have your Bibles, turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to continue on our series of God's promises today. Um, we, we started a new series, this is called Sweet Like Honey, the, the Promises of God. And we, we're talking about how in Scripture, God gives us many promises. And uh, we compared them last week to honey. You know, scripture says they're, they're sweet like honey and how honey is the only food item in the world that never expires, it never goes bad. And what a cool comparison we get, because not only is that sweet, but, but the Word of God will never expire. It never goes bad, it lasts forever. And that's a really, really cool comparison that Scripture gives about the Word of God. Um, and last week, we specifically talked about rest. And I hope that uh, as, as we talked about that, maybe someone or some of you went home and, and decided to, to maybe start a new phase in life. You say, hey, I'm going to try resting in God. And in times where I feel overwhelmed, letting him consume me and getting rejuvenated because of what he offers and taking on his yoke and not ours. So I, I hope people did that. And sometimes I do get encouraging words from people about something that was they heard in service. So if there's something ever that you feel throughout the week, you say, hey, I heard this on Sunday and God moved in my heart. I think more, I, I, I do like it when people say, you know, hey, that was a, you know, that was a good, good word, good message on Sunday. You know what I love even more, though? I love it when people come up to me and they say, hey, this is what God is doing in my life because of what I heard on Sunday. That, that fills me up. So if you have a story of God doing something in your life at all based off something maybe you heard here or something that you've read, share them with me because those are like the most filling things I can get throughout the week. But in... in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at another promise we get together. But before we read that, I want to ask you a question. What is the most amazing gift you've ever received? The, the most amazing gift. You just, just think of, of whether it was something someone uh, bought for you or something that, that you, maybe something you bought for yourself. You're like, I'm buying this gift for me. And to this day, it's the most favorite thing you've ever bought yourself. <laughs> but I think we, we can all think of something, your favorite gift. I know for me, uh, my favorite gifts in the world, it's going to sound cheesy, of course, but it's, they're ones that come from my kids. 
The ones that come from my kids. Um, when, when my kids, when it's, whether it's Father's Day or my birthday, when they come and, and they have a handmade craft, they're like, hey, Daddy, I made this for you. It can look really weird, but it's the best thing. I absolutely love it. I know that one of my favorite gifts um, was on Father's Day. Um, I believe it, Avery made this for me. It's, uh, it says, you know, Dad is my superhero. Her footprint is the body. I think her thumbprint is the head, and her hand is the cape coming up behind it. And I love that thing. That's what I said. Aurora made it. But um, <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorite things. I, I love it. And, and Avery, every now and then, will, uh, will come up to me with just this, this smallest little card. Go, Dad, I made this for you. And it's, it's the smallest little thing, but you open it up, and it says a heart, and it says love you. And it's, those are the best things. And, and I love getting those things um, more, than, <clears throat> more than when they, they buy me something or more than, you know, hey, we went to the store, bought this for you. I do like those things too. But the ones that they make come from a special place because I know that, that that's like their heart getting poured out into those, right? I love those things. Now, I'm sure for, for all of you guys, you can probably think of something as well and say, this is my favorite gift. Maybe it's something, I'm super sentimental, so that, that's why those resonate with me. Um, I know one of my family members is not sentimental at all, so someone can make her something, and um, this is one of my aunts, and she'll be like, oh, that's really cool, and then not care about it a little bit later. She's just not a sentimental person. But, uh, but she does have favorite things people have given her, and for you, that may be the same way. Maybe it's not a sentimental thing, maybe it is a gift, a present that you physically got, but we can all pick something and say, this is the best, and there's usually a story behind it, why it means so much to you. Now, whatever that gift is, as amazing as it may be, <clears throat> I want to tell you this today, it pales in comparison to the promises and gifts that God gives you. And that's, that may be a tough pill to swallow because when you think of those things and how much they mean to you, thinking that that pales in comparison to God, you, you, can, you can probably think nothing will diminish that, right? That, that means a lot to me, but in comparison to what God does, it, it's, a, it's a pale comparison, God promises us a lot of things, and he gives us a lot of things, things like unfailing love, forgiveness, mercy, and of course, what we're going to talk about today, he gives us the promise and gift of grace. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.8 says, it is by grace you have been saved. And 1 John 7, or John 1.17 reminds us that grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Grace is dripping from so many pages of the Bible. This whole story, this love story about God's love and grace for us, and his love for creation is incredible. And grace is not only, I believe, one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us, I think it's one of the most encouraging promises we could ever have in our life. One of the most encouraging promises anyone could ever receive is this free gift of grace. <clears throat> so a brief preview for this passage we're going to read. Paul is writing to the, the church in Corinth about a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly, he never says exactly what the thorn is, but he references it a few times, and we do know it was given to Paul by means of keep, keeping him from becoming proud. And he references how he says he wishes God would, would take this away, but God doesn't, but God uses it in his life. And it, it makes me wonder when I read it, how many situations in our lives do we have where we would say, God, please take this away. This is, this is painful, but at the same time, it doesn't. You know, God doesn't take it away, but God is able to use that in your life to reach people, to, to strengthen your faith, to, to move in your walk. I think we all have different things that can do that. Because honestly, it's, it's easy to boast about life sometimes when life is really easy. Really, really easy to say, this is happening, this is happening, ducks are in a row, life is great. But it's hard to say, life is great when life is hard. But Paul talks about this. He boasts about, he says, I, I can boast in the hard things because of the grace God does in my life. <clears throat> Many of us know that it's the hard times in life that develops character, develops resolve and perseverance to go through things. Paul says his thorn kept him humble. 
He cried out to God to take it away, but then God made up a promise. And I think it's the same promise he made to all of us today that we're going to read in 2 Corinthians 12.9. So 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I will delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is, a pretty, this is a pretty deep passage. There's a lot Paul is saying here that, that kind of flips the script on what we, what we comprehend and what we would normally think about things. You know, when I am weak, then I'm strong. I will boast in my weakness. I'll delight in insults. That's a, those aren't things that we necessarily think of. So Paul is challenging the, the status quo of thought in these things, challenging people that are suffering persecution to look at it from a different perspective on what God is doing through these things in their life. But there's a key line in here that I want to focus on. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. This is what this is the promise God gives us. This is a profound statement that, that applies to us today. So for the next few moments, I want to answer this, this looming question. What, what practically, or what does it mean for us practically that God's grace is good enough? What, what does it mean for us today when God says, I promise my grace for you for free? How do we practically put that into our lives now? This word is thrown around a lot, but before, so we, as we dive into it, let's look at the definition of grace. Grace, in its simplest definition, is this. Receiving something you do not deserve. Receiving something you do not deserve. Show of hands, real quick. Have you ever got something from someone and that thought crossed your mind, I did not deserve this? I did not deserve it. I, I, that, that happens to me. Often, someone will do something for me, and I, I do think, there's no way I don't deserve that. I mean, I'm, in true story, I, I know I don't deserve my wife. I don't. But, but she is such a blessing to me. There, there's a lot of things in life I can point at and say, I don't deserve it. And we can think of examples throughout lives as well. I mean, th- think of this. Think of going to school and thinking of the worst kid in your class. Just the, the kid that was a terror in class, getting the same reward everybody else does at the end of the day. You think, that is not fair. The kid doesn't get the consequence. They get the same reward for no reason. They don't deserve it. Or maybe, uh, maybe you've done that with your kids. You've said, hey, if you do this, then this will be the consequence. And you've started to go down that line of a consequence, but then you showed them grace instead. You said, hey, I'm going to lighten this up. Or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fall through with that. I'm going to do this instead. A season of grace you've shown your own kids. Grace is like a hardened criminal receiving his sentence. Guilty as sin. They did it. For some reason, the judge saying, we're going to commune your sentence. You don't have to go to prison and pay for this. They're receiving grace. It doesn't make sense, right? It's not deserved, but when you receive something like that, how do you feel? Feel really, you you can feel really good. It's a good feeling knowing I don't deserve this, but I got it. You can feel humbled. You can feel undeserving, but at the same time, it can also be an incredibly filling feeling. And Paul's talking about this in his letters. It's the grace of God that's promised to all of us and no way deserved. And no way deserved, but yet we receive this anyway. And God gives it willingly. He gives it freely. Every day we get to live in this this thought that God gives you this free gift of grace. And that, to me, is an incredibly refreshing thought. Yet, as people, I think sometimes we can uh, tend to to downplay exactly what this means. We, We can kind of push aside the genuine big gift of grace because it's a free thing. But I want to talk about a few things today on how we can remember how important it is and apply it to our lives. And the first one is this. Know that when it comes to grace... You can't receive it elsewhere. You don't need to look for the gift of God's grace anywhere else. 
You don't need to look elsewhere for it. Here's the beauty, beautiful reality of this. When we have all we need, you can be content. You don't have to look anywhere for else for satisfaction. It, it's, like, it's like, think of one of the most content feelings you've ever had. It, it, for me, it's like eating a big old meal on Thanksgiving when the stretchy pants come out, right? You're like, content, life is good. I am full, maybe too full, but I am just, everything is awesome, right? You are, too, you are satisfied or too full. When you have all you need, we can find contentment. We can be content with what God gives us. But the, the big question then turns into this that we wrestle with. Are we content with all Jesus has given us? Are we content with Jesus? Is, is Jesus enough? Is God's grace enough? Maybe you would say, I don't know, because the question you then ask yourself after that is, I don't know if I'm content. I don't know if it's enough because I feel like I've done things so bad, there is no way I can pull myself out of this hole. It's not enough. I, I'm I'm. I'm too much of a sinner. I've fallen too much into this hole where there's no amount of grace God could show me that would ever redeem what I've done. <clears throat> I know for me, when one of, the, one of the biggest things for me that, that really gets me is if someone looks at me and tells me and lies to me. For, for, for me, that's, that's something that I, that I really wrestle with. I, I, I have a hard time reconciling a, a, a lie, but that's because when I was younger, I struggled with honesty. And I told some lies. And one of the biggest lies I told my mom, it may not seem like a huge lie if you think of things that others have done, but this was big for me. Um, my older brother wanted to take me to a movie, and there was a rated R movie that I really wanted to see when I was in the seventh grade. And my older brother was 18, so he could take me, and I lied to my mom about what movie he was taking me to. Just flat out lied about it. I knew there was another movie in the theater, and I said, oh, I'm allowed to see that one. I'm not allowed to see this one. And it was rated R for all the rated R reasons but I wanted to go see it. So my brother took me, went to see the movie. We get home. My mom says, how was the movie? I was like, it was great. And I started making up stuff about the movie I didn't see to cover up the fact that I lied to go see another movie. What I didn't know is that my older brother was going to tell my mom that night what he did. So I am in my bed sleeping. And my mom comes in, goes, Dustin, what movie did you see? I was like, I lied again. This one. She goes, what movie did you see? Lie it again. This one. I'm going to ask you one more time. All right, kids, if your parents ever say that line. <laughs> if they ever say that line, know that they know the truth and they're giving you a chance to fess up, right? Says, Dustin, I'm going to ask you one more time. What movie did you see? I knew what that meant. I told her what movie I saw. You know what she said to me? Dustin, I'm disappointed in you. That's worse than being mad, right? I wanted her to just be mad at me. She was disappointed in me. And then she left. So I'm disappointed. And she walked away. I felt so bad in that moment. Not only did I lie to my mom, but at the same time my mom was talking to me about it, said, you know, you didn't just lie to me. You know, we, we talked about it. She said, you honestly, you were not being honest with your faith, your walk with God. You were lying to so much more than just me when you did that. And so when I asked my mom for forgiveness, you know what she did? She forgave me on the spot. Now, there was a season where I had to earn trust back, but you know what consequences I got? None, really. It, it was a, for, for me as a kid, it was a confusing thing. I was like, wait, I flat out lied to my mom. I did what I shouldn't do. I lied to her multiple times about this. And then I did have to, like I said, I did have to earn trust back, but as far as like consequences, there weren't genuine consequences. She showed me an abundance of grace when she saw that I was sorry for what I did. And I'll never forget how she talked to me about it. And then I had to have a conversation with God about it. 
Because what it did to me is it, it opened up my eyes to know, it's like, you know what? I'm struggling with honesty. That wasn't the only thing I had lied about in life, but there was an honesty issue I had to work with. So I had to talk to God. I had to come to him and say, all right, God, I need you to work through me. I need you to, to, to strengthen, strengthen me and help me work on my honesty and then not be ashamed to tell people, hey, these are things I've messed up in. Will you forgive me because I'm working on these things? And then I got to start seeing how God would work in my life, how he would grow me and strengthen me through my weakness instead of condemning me for it. And I got to feel the love and restoration and grace of God. And I love that my parents were models of that for me. It was really, really cool. I deserved a harsher consequence. I, I deserved my mom to say, you're never allowed to go out with your brother again. You may not do this for a while. You may, you know, there'll be a season where you are grounded for, for whatever, but she didn't do those things. She showed me grace. There were other things in life I did where I got consequences, um, and I think those are important because you learn from consequences. But there was also this incredible example of grace I got from my mom. <clears throat> and the fact is this. I deserved a much harsher consequence for what I did. We all deserve a harsher consequence for our sin. We really, really do. <clears throat> we deserve a harsher consequence for our sin, but by the grace of God, and I love this promise to us, by the grace of God, that consequence has already been paid. <clears throat> That's already been reconciled. The grace of God has covered us. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says this, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I love that this, this promise of God, I love that none of his promises, they're not conditional, right? He makes a promise and he always follows through on this. It doesn't just apply in certain situations or seasons that seem better than others or to certain people. Instead, this is something that is transcendent through every season, through every condition, through every struggle we have. This promise of grace will always flow through your life. And that's why it's such a key component, I believe, uh, to, to show that the love of God that was shown through Jesus on the cross he made a way for us to enter a relationship with him in the midst of our sin. Think of how important that is and how, how ridiculous that may sound. He didn't wait for reconciliation to happen with us and him for him to step in and say, I'm going to take care of this. It was in the midst of our sin that grace was shown. It, was, it wasn't after we realized what we did. It wasn't after we said we were sorry. It was in the midst of sin, the midst of disobedience. It was in the midst of our rebellion. In the midst of it all, God sent his son and said, I will take care of this in the middle of what you're going through, not at the end of what you're going through. In the midst of our sin, we were forgiven. We were freed. We were restored. That's grace. That is an incredible example of grace. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I love that. I love that. No matter how big our sin is, the grace of God is so much bigger than anything we could be struggling with. It wipes out our sin. The grace of God is the ultimate free gift. If you ever think, do you have to look elsewhere for grace? Do you have to prove or do something? Remember, the God of the universe, the lover of your soul, he gives it to you for free. He shows it to you unconditionally. And I'm not saying that your sin is not a big deal. Um, it, you know, don't, don't say, well, God's grace is bigger, so it's no biggie. Sin is a big deal. All sin is a huge deal. I think we can downplay sin sometimes, but sin is such a big deal that the very first sin led to death. Sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. But the great thing is that that led to a rescue plan where God sent his son to die for us. This big sin problem led to a big solution for undeserving people, and God chose to show grace to an undeserving people, and he still shows that same grace today to me, an undeserving person, to us, undeserving people. The same people who had his son killed, the same people who tortured Jesus, who mocked him, who put him on that cross, rebelled against him from the beginning, 
rebelled against him in the middle, and still rebel against him today, he still shows that same gift of grace. That's phenomenal to me. Nothing else can compare to that. We don't have to look anywhere else for it. It's yours for free. And maybe today you need to take that step. You need to come to that conclusion. You need to say, you know what? God's grace is enough. I've never really thought about that being all I need, but God says, my grace is enough for you. And the beauty is, you don't earn it. You do not earn this. You just receive what he gives to you. It's often said that there's nothing you can do to earn God's love anymore, and there's nothing you can do to earn God's love any less. How true is that? That is so cool. You, you don't have to earn it anymore, and you can't earn it any less. Today is the day that you, you have to stop. You don't, until you, you don't have to strive to earn God's love. He loves you. You don't have to earn God's love. He loves you. We respond to God's love by serving. We respond to God's love by loving others, to, to reaching out to our community, to showing the fruits of the Spirit. That's a response to God working in your heart, but you don't do it to earn it. He already loves you. He's not going to say, I'll love you more if you do these things. He loves you. And he doesn't look back at your life and say, hey, remember that one time where you were being a little terror and just doing horrible things? I loved you so much less than those times. He loved you. He loved you then. He loves you now. And we get to respond to that and show him we love him by obeying his commands and by reaching other people, loving him and loving those around us. That's a response to God's grace. You don't have to look anywhere else for it. God is there and he gives it to you for free. Second is know that you don't have to be strong on your own. God gives you this gift of grace, and you don't have to do it on your own. Because of God's grace, he's there with you. The Bible talks a lot about strength. But here in our 2 Corinthians passage, it seems clear that it says strength is made perfect in our what? Our weaknesses. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And that may be a difficult thing to understand, but, but God's word talks a lot about God's strength because it says we are made strong, he makes us strong in our weakness. So it's not our strength that's doing this. It's his strength fusing through our weaknesses because his strength is stronger than anything else, Right? 1 Chronicles 16.11 says this, Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. It doesn't say look for your own strength. It doesn't say get stronger to get through your stuff. When you're going through whatever you're going through, we can look at this and know that I'm going to look to God's strength and seek his face. And in my weakness, he will make me stronger. He works through me. He's the one that gets me through these things. This is one of the very many verses that declares where our strength is meant to be found. Not in yourself, not in the world, in God. And I look back in the, the times where, where I was struggling with, with honesty, and, and I think, you know what? I was able to turn to God and have God's strength to work on my own integrity, to work on my own issues, and he was able to help me work through these things in my life. But just like we discussed uh, last week in, when we talked about rest, we talked about rest, we had to pursue God's rest, right? It says, come to me. We had to go to God to get rest. I believe when it comes to strength, we've got to pursue this as well. We've got to go to God to get the strength. And I believe the best way to pursue God's strength is fought in our battles. And for me, the number one tool I use is prayer. It's the number one thing that, that I use. And I think so often, though, in hard times, it can be the number one thing we don't turn to. Um, I, I've shared stories before about how I've gone through seasons in life where, where I feel like I'm struggling. And then someone has asked me, when, when have you prayed about this? And I was like, oh, never. Oh, I, I've got to go to God with it. But I think one of the best things we can do, the best weapon in our arsenal is prayer. And I believe so many things about prayer, so many wonderful things. It's the, there's real power in prayer. It, it's often something to turn to less, but, but I realize when you read about prayer in Scripture, you know what you see happen? 
You see walls come tumbling down. You see prisoners set free. Miracles happen. People are healed. People are brought back to life. Incredible things happen. Demons are cast away. There's new life. There's restoration. And it comes with prayer. There is power in prayer. Never discount the power prayer has and how you can turn to God through prayer to receive strength, to receive rest, to receive and, and understand more of this grace that he offers so freely. And for me personally, I believe one of those powerful prayer postures we could possibly have is when I get down on two knees and I just kneel before God. I say, you know what, God, I'm just putting everything else aside. I just get down and say, I'm just going to kneel before you, God. I'm just going to come before you and let you fill me up. I, I love the song by Phil Wickham, Battle Belongs. There's an awesome line that says, so when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. I love that song. And honestly, when I, when I think of that song, I can even get choked up just singing that song out loud. I'm not going to sing it for you now. But, but I can, there's a reason we have a worship team and I'm not on it. But I, I, I can get choked up when I'm singing that song because for me, that is such a powerful image of getting on your knees humbly before God and lifting up your hands in full, complete surrender saying, I'm giving it to you. I'm lifting up my hands in prayer to you. You're saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your strength because I am weak. I am small, you are big. I am less, you are more. And when we come to God with those, those, that mentality and we, we offer up our prayers, it's, it's, a, it's a humbling thing admitting that you need help and saying, God, it's about you, not about me. It's a powerful posture of prayer. And I believe that we can, we can find God's strength. We can understand more and dive into his rest and his grace when we pray. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Humility, I believe, is a key to experiencing this, this God's strength, because in humility, we're reminded that we're desperate for it, desperate for him, needing more of him. We're called to pursue Christ, and in doing this, in this, in this pursuit of Christ, we receive what God desires to give us, his strength made perfect in our weakness. So, so today, don't be ashamed of things uh, when, when, you're, when you're feeling weak. Don't be ashamed of a struggle you're having. I'm not saying do it more on purpose, but, but know that you can come to God with it and he can work through you, make you stronger, let his grace and strength fill you and get you through it. And let that be part of a story where you say, wow, this is where a moment where I was feeling like I couldn't do it. And the truth was you can't, but God did it with you. God did it through you. God grew through you. And don't run from it. Let it be a place where you get to say, when I needed grace, this is where God showed me grace. This is where God grew in me, and this is how I am stronger because of him. And third, we can show grace to others. This may be one of the hardest concepts of grace. God shows us grace, and part of receiving it means we get to do what? We get to show it to others. I'm sure we all have people that, um, that we don't want to show grace to. I'm sure we all have people that have done something in our lives so bad that you say, God, when they cross the street, let that truck drive by at the same time. That, and, you know, the Bible says pray for your enemies, and sometimes we pray that way for our enemies, right? It doesn't mean that. But if God shows us grace, we need to be able to learn how do we extend that grace to others. And remember, the grace is something we don't deserve. So if you're showing it to somebody else, guess what you're showing them? Something they don't deserve, but that's what makes grace grace, something they don't deserve. Paul says in this that he boasts about his weakness so that the power of Christ can be shown in him and through him. Notice, if you are actively pursuing Christ, people will notice. People will notice in the way that you talk, the way that you move, the way you carry yourself. People will notice God working in your life. But here's the truth. When they inquire about it, what are you going to tell them? 
And then when you tell them about it, if they reject you, how are you going to respond? Um, we probably all have stories, too, of maybe times we've, had, we've got to share Jesus with people. We've said, hey, I'm, let me tell you about what this, this God has done for me, and they've rejected you. They've rejected him. How do you feel in those moments? Sometimes, I, I know I've shared my faith with people, and I've been responded to in a bunch of different ways. Sometimes it's, it's helped lead people to Jesus, which has been just an incredible moment in, in, in life. But I've also experienced the opposite. I've experienced rudeness and harshness. Um, insulting or berating, rejection. And I, I think that's sometimes, when I was a youth pastor, that was one of the things I got to talk a lot with the youth about was, you know, hey, what's keeping you from telling your friends about Jesus? And they say, well, if I tell my friends that I go to church and this is, I won't do X, Y, and Z because the Bible instructs me to do this, the number one reason I normally hear from youth is I won't tell people that because they will make fun of me. They don't want to face that rejection. Everyone wants to be loved and accepted, Right? That that's just, it's a natural feeling. Everybody loves the opposite, though. Everybody loves being accepted in there. You hate the rejection. But how many times has God confronted us or wanted to confront us, but we do the same thing with him? We say, you know what, God, not right now. I can't deal with this right now. God, God, I know I, know I did something and we need to talk about it, but I need to do this my way first. Maybe that's your style of learning. You say, I've got to do this my way, and then I'll come to you when it doesn't work, God. I think we've all gone through seasons, I know I have, where I've done that as well. Maybe you do it without even knowing what you're doing, but we go through seasons where we reject God, but in the midst of us rejecting God, you know what he still pours out to you, pours out to me, us? He still pours out his grace. In the midst of it all, just like he did when he sent Jesus, in the midst of Jesus being rejected, he still showed grace. He will still show you that grace today. When we are sharing Jesus, it could be a lengthy process with people even tiring or repetitive, but the same grace that Jesus shows us when we rebel is the same grace I think we need to show people when they reject us because of our faith. Maybe it's not even a story about your faith. Maybe it's just someone rejecting you or being harsh to you, but you know, I need to show them grace. Who knows? Maybe showing them that example of grace will still lead them to Jesus because you're modeling a trait and characteristic of God. When we show grace, we continue our relationship and even our friendship with those who are far from God. And that's what we need to do. We need to have friends that are far from God. We need to demonstrate the the love of Jesus to people who don't know the love of Jesus. And through that, they get to see him. They get to see him working in our lives. And that's what Paul says, strengthen me, pour out through me. We need to show grace. Sometimes we're given the opportunity to walk alongside people in our lives who are beginning to follow Jesus. But man, sometimes that can require a lot of patience. A lot of patience. When someone begins the process of wrestling, with, or wrestling down their own sins and, and they haven't really, they're still struggling. What does it mean to give my life completely? There's still things I want to hold on to and you're trying to encourage them. This is what it looks like to follow God. This is what it looks like to lay your life down. It can be a lengthy process, but man, it's worth it because sometimes, sometimes a change for that just doesn't happen overnight. Breaking a bad habit doesn't just happen overnight. Getting rid of a sin, maybe it's a sin that you are literally addicted to because you've been doing it for so long. Breaking that doesn't happen overnight. But that's where God shows them grace. That's where when we're working with people and and sharing our lives, we get to show grace. Never forget our grace we get to share with other people. This process is about sharing grace. Exodus 34, 6 says this. As he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, oh, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Man, God is abounding in love He's abounding in faithfulness. He's abounding in grace. You, you may not feel equipped to walk with others. 
You, you may not feel like, I, I don't have the tools I need. I'm not, I'm not ready to take this walk out, right? I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't feel like I can show the love of God to someone or even grace because I'm not ready. But again, in your weakness, his grace abounds. Maybe it abounds to overflowing out of your life and into the life of somebody else. If you're here today and you feel inadequate, weak, or unable, just I've got some great news for you. You might be exactly where God needs you to be to start doing his work that he's already called you to do. It is an incredible free gift. I don't want anyone to ever think that, that they, <clears throat> well, understand we don't deserve it, we get it. I don't want anyone to think that they're too inadequate to serve God, too inadequate to step in and show this love of grace or show the grace that God has given them to other people. I know that um, I went through a season in my life where I, I had to show grace and forgiveness. Um, there, was, there was someone that I worked with years ago, and uh, I found out this was after working with him for years, and there, there, was, there was some manipulation behind the scenes that was happening that I was not aware of. And he had me uh, turning my attitude against other people, and I didn't realize that he had other people turning their attitudes against me. It was, it was just a really manipulative relationship that none of us had really seen until this person moved away. And then some, some truth came out. And in the midst of this, where I had to learn how to forgive and show, show grace, I found out that, that this person had been sending very inappropriate emails, very inappropriate text messages to other women. And I found out one day, when he was in just the other room, he was sending some of those messages to my sister. And I remember in the moment, fuming with anger, she, she, was, she was in tears. She showed me, and I, I asked her, I said, have you shown these to anybody else? And she had said, no, I haven't shown them because I've been too embarrassed. I don't know what to do. I know he's friends with some people here, and you're friends with them. And to be really honest with you, in the moment, I felt like going out and starting a fight. I, I was that angry at what had just happened. And by the grace of God, he left before I left my sister's room. And I remember looking at, I remember having a moment with God going, God, I'm so glad for whatever reason he left that day because I don't know what I would have done had I walked out of the room and seen him after I had saw those, those messages that he was sending. And then you know what I started to do though is anytime I thought about him, and this went on for a while, I, all those feelings would start to come back up. I'd start to get angry and my, my, I, just in my heart, it, there was bitterness there towards this person because of not just what he had done to, to some of my friends, but what he was sending to my sister I was like, wow, this was, this was bad stuff. And then God told me one day, I said, you know what? You may never resume a friendship with him. You may never really have another real conversation with him, but you need to forgive and show grace and move on. And I had to learn, to, it, was, it was not an overnight thing. It was a process. It was a long process. And I can tell you now, even now as I tell this story, I can still feel some of those emotions start to brew back up when I think about the conversation I had with my sister and I think about the things this person had done. And I can honestly tell you, I still to this day have never had another conversation with him. He removed himself from, from my circle. But I can tell you that I have forgiven and moved on. It was not easy, but I've done it because God challenged me to show grace where God, where God shows grace to me. Now, I know this person. I know that he is also trying to follow God in his life. And whether or not he is, he's never reached out and apologized to me or my family as far as I'm concerned for what he said. But as far as I know, he could be serving God and reconciled that and is, is working and, and doing his own thing with God and God's working through him. I have to be okay with that because if God's showing me grace, God can show him grace. And if God is able to show me grace, I can show that to other people as well. It's not easy. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow, but know that 
when God is working through you, incredible things flow out. And never, never discredit what God can use in your life to touch the lives of other people. And never think you are in a place where you are not ready to show that grace to people. You are fully equipped right now to do whatever, has call, do whatever God has called you to do for his purpose. You are ready right now to do it. You don't have to reconcile first. You don't have to get ready to do it. Step into what God has called you to do. Embrace the grace that he gives out so freely and know that you're ready. God has called you to do amazing things. I'd like to invite the, the worship team up as we get ready to close today. You know, in 2 Corinthians, we, we learn that God has used weakness to form the Apostle Paul into this incredible man of God, right? His thorn, his weakness, this was a gift of grace to him. And God's promise in that gift was simply, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I know I'm not alone here today when I say it takes a long time to learn. It takes a long time to learn about the grace of God in your life. It's, it's hard to let go sometimes. It's, it's, it's hard to move forward. It's hard to release control. It's hard to say, God, you be in control. God, you take over. But that's what he wants. He wants you to find the place where he is, where you belong, and let him work there. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter what mountaintop you're in or valley you're down in, remember, God's grace is for you. He promises it, and it will never go away. My grace is sufficient. I'd like to invite you all to stand with me. And um, as you're standing, I'm going to invite you to do something right now that normally people don't do this in church. Please pull out your phones. Right? Yeah. Get on your phone right now. I want you to open up whatever note app you have in your phone, uh, whatever thing you do. To, maybe, maybe you're going to text yourself this, but here's what I want everyone to do. As we're standing, pull out your phone, write down the name of someone that you need to show grace to. The name of someone maybe who's wronged you. The name of someone maybe, maybe you were really close with somebody and something happened, a conversation happened, um, and, and you're no longer friends. You haven't talked, and, and you need to extend grace. Write down the name of someone who maybe their blood, their name gets your blood boiling. Or maybe they don't get you angry, but you're just hurt that they're not in your life for whatever reason anymore. Grace is needed. And then here's the challenge. Don't just write their name down. Reach out to them. Take that step. Take that step and show them grace. Chances are, when you think of this person, you think, I don't want to show them grace. Whatever they did or said, this is this is. This is the epitome of I never want to talk to him again. I'm glad that we serve a God that doesn't say the same thing for us. I'm glad that no matter how much we mess up, God says, I will still show you grace. And whoever that is, reach out to him soon. Know that God will reach out to you. God will pour it out to you. Let's work on pouring it out to others because, man, it is one of the best promises God gives us that it was free, it's abundant, and it's yours forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you, God, that we, we so desperately need your grace. And at the same time, uh, some of us can be so stubborn that, that we, we don't receive it or we refuse to receive it. But God, I pray that you humble us, you help us, God, you, you open up our hearts. God, we open up our hearts to you and your amazing word and we're able to show that to others, God. I thank you that you give it freely. I thank you that you give it passionately and that we humbly receive it, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love that is abounding and will never end. We thank you, love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.